something like this lady. <laughs> it is always something. And today it's Made in the 80s. Welcome to Made in the 80s, podcast about the 80s by people who were made in the 80s. I'm Shalia and we have Tim. Kendon. Special guest returning. Who do we have? Angelo. Thank you for having me back. Yes. And Angelo, not only are we excited to have you back, we have you back for a very special episode of Kendon's yeah. birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do a little party. Ready? Woo! I got a balloon. <laughs> Is that a singular balloon? (laughs) He actually uh, hung balloons all around the house. The cats love it. (laughs) And Angela, do you want to sing to Kendon for his birthday really fast? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday Uh to you. Happy birthday, dear Kendon. Happy birthday to you. Beautiful. See, and this is a very special birthday because Tim, we didn't have to sing. It sounded good. There you go. Everybody wins. (laughs) Everybody wins on Kendon's birthday. Um, Okay, so Kendon, what did you pick for your birthday episode? I picked The Fifth Element. Fifth Element. One of the greatest movies ever made. Oh, shit. Yeah. Cinematic (laughs) masterpiece. Yes. It was a treat for all of us. Um, So we're going to talk about that in a very little bit. I will put the timestamp in the show notes. Let's get started with a little bit of trivia. We're just going to do one question this year for this um, episode. This episode, this very special episode. I feel, isn't there like a thing, this very special episode? Yeah, I used to watch it on YouTube. Okay, and for the 80s trivia, let's go with what was Kendon's favorite ice cream flavor in the 80s? Wait, I don't know that. You don't know that? I don't know. I don't know that either. I could tell you probably what his favorite drink was, but not his favorite ice cream flavor. No, okay, uh, what was Kendon's favorite drink in the eighties? I'm, I'm gonna going go. I'm gonna say it was either watermelon or grape Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid, okay. I'm going with apple juice. Tim? I'm gonna go with orange juice. I feel like Angela's the closest, but it was grape juice. Wow. My parents didn't like Kool-Aid. Hold on. Tim and I both picked actual fruit juices. Yeah, but he picked the right flavor. (laughs) And to be fair, your parents might not have liked Kool-Aid in your house when you were kids, but when we were teenagers, we consumed a lot of Kool-Aid in your house. Oh, God. So much Kool-Aid. All right. I was on an almost all Kool-Aid diet by the time I was a junior. (laughs) So I've heard. So, yeah, that's our 80s trivia for today. Let's get into some news. What's happening in 2020 July? Anything exciting? I have zero news today. Zero news? I have minor news. What's your minor news? Well, so there was a Studio Ghibli World that was supposed to open in 2020, but has been pushed back. This was in Japan, so um, it's been pushed back now. Until 2022 because of COVID. But it sounds like they're working on um, a My my Neighbor Totoro section, a section for Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, Howl's Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke, and one other one I can't think of off the top of my head. This is so, this is one of those uh, almost like a bait and switch. You're like, there is this thing coming. And so that's really exciting. And then you say, and it's not. <laughs> well, I think I found out about it 
at the same time I found out about its delay. Yeah. But what I find interesting is um, it's uh, it's been considered the Disney of Japan, but also Nintendo is kind of like the Disney of Japan. So my one of my most recent news topics was the Nintendo world that they're creating in Japan as well. So um, I got to visit Japan. Yep. We're going to have so much to do once we finally get there. Yeah. Um, Okay, so the only news I had is just something that I'm excited about, which is Michelle Obama's podcast. Uh, yeah. First episode is coming out this week, so I'm excited to watch it or listen to it. So that's my news is that it's coming. Do we, do we know who the producers and directors are for her podcast yet? Um, sort of. We know somebody who is helping on it, but she has really? like a whole bunch of her own. Yeah, but she has a whole bunch of her own people too. So it's it's a it seems like it's a pretty big project. That's exciting. Um, from what I'm, we're hearing, that's really exciting. Um, so what we what we've been told like is like on it, um, her first guest or her first episode is with Brock, and so like she teases him. And she's like, "Okay, Mister, yes, we can." <laughs> <laughs> so I think it'll be fun. I hope it will be fun. I just like to hear more of her. We we had another famous couple have their podcast together recently. <laughs> Do either you guys hear or watch this red table? Oh God. Will yeah. and Will and Jada? Yeah. <laughs> I watched it. It was twelve. Thumbs minutes. up or thumbs down. Friends, if you don't know what it is, you should look it up. Okay. Um, um thumbs up or thumbs down of as far as what? The content or no, the- whether we should watch it. Thumbs down. It's not worth okay. the time. All right. Um, any other news you guys want to talk about today, or should we get into what we've been up to? I've got two quick pieces of news. Okay. Uh, first one is that we we got the first look at uh, Mandalorian season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a there was a couple images and uh, some short clips that came out. Super excited about that. And the MCU is looking at casting Brad Pitt for the Marvel's version of Superman. Huh. So, uh, we. That's it. Wow. Huh. Yeah. That. Huh. Is the right word for that. Um, going mm-hmm. back to the first part of your news. Um, so we haven't talked about this yet. This rumor that Kathleen Kennedy might be no more over at Star Wars. I would. Not. I agree <laughs> with you, Angelo. <laughs> Angelo. Angelo seems pretty happy about. Yeah. <laughs> and so it sounds like at least two of um, the Made in the 80s uh, crew is excited about that. I wouldn't put fake in that rumor. That's all I'm saying. Tim's not convinced that it's true. Oh. And I am indifferent. <laughs> I think it, they've, they've been batting pretty low average. Yeah, you don't know that we, it's true, but you're happy if it is. We've talked about this before. The, what is your, your, the metric is, like, how are you judging? Um, time out. They're we making less money, they're this. selling less toys, and their movies are less good. We don't need to have this conversation. He no, asked me the question. I, I gave him his quick answer. We did have a long conversation so, on, on the group chat. So let me have one maybe alternative question, and that would be if she is on her way out mm-hmm. and somebody else is on their way in, in this hypothetical universe, would you prefer that this person who is on their way in redoes episodes seven, eight, nine? And that's the new canon. Or no. just don't do it and totally move on. Move on. Yeah, just do something move else. On. Move on. Okay. I liked Rogue One. And I like The Mandalorian. 
I enjoyed um, The Force Awakens. It was, it was, but it was all, I mean, I will agree with you, Kendon. Like, it's all based on um, nostalgia and like, we were just really excited. Mm-hmm. So that's fine, but right. I enjoyed it. Like, it, it, that's what it was and it was fun. Also, The Old Republic. It's time to, it's time to go either really far back or really far forward. Or The High Republic. Uh, <laughs> is that how you well, watch the Star Wars movies? <laughs> it's well, how no, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, that, that's what's been announced. What's been announced is we're going to see uh, the High Republic movies, not the Old Republic. Okay. So. Okay, so with that, what have you guys been up to? Who wants to go first? Angelo, um, you're our guest. Let's have yeah. Angelo go first, and can right. you close us out? I'll go Would first. Like um, what have I been up to this last... You know, there. Well, first it was Marpril, which was the combining of March and April because it just was Groundhog Day every day. Then it was the May and June, which I didn't really see a difference in either. Um, but I, during this whole stay at home and quarantine, I've really been working on my chef skills, my cooking skills. So you know, for Father's Day, I got a brand new knife and cutting board. I've been taking on new recipes. Um, it's been really fun. It's been really enjoyable, uh, and so- of course. Go ahead. I was just saying, my wife really loves it. She goes, I, I cook dinner every night. I do the dishes most nights. And it gives me something to, you know, what I really realized about myself during this whole pandemic was that I needed something to conquer. I needed something to do. And if I didn't have something to conquer or accomplish or do, uh, I was getting kind of down in the dumps, you know, and learning how to, you know, get better at chef skills and knife skills and things like that. That, that helped put me in a better mood. So question for you. What is the crowd f- favorite? What is everybody enjoying the be- most at this Macaroni point? and cheese. Or is everybody different? Because you've got a very <laughs> wide range of ages to satisfy there. Yeah, I mean, if we, if we take the baby out of the equation, because the baby only eats baby food still, um, everybody else, I'd say the crowd favorite right now is probably the Moroccan chicken. Oh, yeah. Moroccan baked? chicken. Is it baked? Yeah, I, I take a whole chicken, I quarter it, and then I season it, and then I, I bake the, yeah, I bake the chicken, and I serve it with uh, carrots, typically, roasted yeah. carrots. Good for you, Angelo. That's awesome. Anything yeah, that's else you want to talk about? Um, I've got, oh, we had a basement remodel at our house. Ooh. We had a, we, we, well, we had a flood in our basement. Uh, which and yeah, and it wasn't a, just a water flood; it was uh, an icky flood, and oh. so yeah, and so anyways, oh, it no. kind of prompted us to tear up the floors and tear up the walls and kind of start a new downstairs. So the downstairs is like a, a whole new house down there. You know, new floors, new walls, new paint, new everything. And Dominic loves his new room. I've got my own home office downstairs now. That's where I was when, when uh, before I was like, hey, I'll just hang out in my home office. But my home office, I don't get the best internet reception so to do video for the podcast but no it's it's that that's i'd say that's the the big the biggest other thing that happened for us during the last couple months is we had to remodel the basement man sorry about that but glad to hear it you're out on the other end and getting to enjoy it (laughs) thank you um tim what are you up to not a whole bunch watched a bunch of movies this week um i watched monster in law for the first time i had never seen that (laughs) in my life so I watched that and I watched Sleepless in Seattle for the first time a movie another movie I had never watched 
Um, what's the name of that director? Well, Nora Ephron is. Nora Ephron, yeah. Um, the Blank Check podcast is doing all of her movies. So I just listened to the episode about Supus in Seattle. So yeah, that's been what I've been up to. That's such a fun one. I'm excited for us to do that one someday. Because I think we will. I have a feeling. Um, okay, well, what I've been up to is I'm still reading the Dresden File books. I finished the book that I was on last week and have moved on to the next one. And they are still very fun and perfect for me just to like want to escape from the world. Um, I'm still watching Lie to Me. And I know I've talked about it before. The new thing I'm realizing about that show that I want to mar- remark on is that the cast, not the main cast, but every episode, it's, you know, a mystery of the week type of show. And every episode has different main characters that are aside from the, you know, main cast. And they bring in people who in very short order end up being pretty main characters in pretty big shows. Um, And so I don't know who's part of this production team. I I know I keep saying I want to look it up, but I am noticing now how impressed I am with the casting. And I don't know if it's that they have found good people to get on this or if they are somewhat of a launching board. Is that the word? Launching board? Launching pad? Springboard. Springboard. There, thanks. (laughs) For these careers. Do you know what network it's on? No. Lie to Me, I think, was on Fox. Lie to Me was was on on Fox. Fox. Yeah, and that's the uh, Tim Roth or whatever. Yep. Yep. But it's on Hulu now. (laughs) <laughs> I was yeah. like, I don't know. but so it's a, I, It says Fox down in the corner the entire time. <laughs> but yeah, so Shalia, I'm just continuously impressed. Yes. Just because, you know, I also have read the Dresden books. What book are you on now? What just happened at the end of the last book? So I just finished Summer Nights, which was, Ooh. okay, yeah. So now I'm on the one, the next one. Do you know what number? I think I just finished four or five. So now it's I'm on summer five night, or six. Su- summer Night is five. You're on six. You might be passing me soon, so maybe I should catch up. Might want to. Um, and just, yeah, I, Angela, I've talked about it the last couple of weeks. I just, with everything that's going on in the world right now, like it is nice to have somewhere to escape to. Um, yeah. And Dresden has been perfect for that. So I am back. I, I restarted hearing. them. Not that's restarted great. them. I was, yeah. I had gone through the first few and I had, so yeah. I started back in at summer night and I'm happy I'm, I'm in that world hanging out in Chicago. Oh man. And summer night is intense, right? Like when he gets, when he gets the nod, it's, it's kind of intense. It is. It is very intense. I really like it. And I know you talked about how it's kind of like Harry Potter um, grown up. I also think it's very interesting because it's like a mix between true blood. Um, the way everything is just kind of like in the real world. It's not, yeah. It, there's not, there is somewhat of like an underworld, not underworld, but like a side world, but that's not where they exist most of the time. Um, and there's something else I thought it was a lot like, but I forget. Yeah. So one of my friends uh, who is also a fellow uh, Dresdener uh, said it this way. He said, it's like if Harry Potter and True Blood and uh, Law and Order SVU had a baby. That's good. That's really good. Um, yeah, so I'm enjoying that. And then finally, I don't think I've mentioned this to friends yet, but, um, I, well, Tim, you would know if I mentioned it, that I'm doing, um, legal observing for, um, 
for pr the protests that have been happening here in Seattle. Um, and so I'm not part of the protest, but they get the um, organizers will hire um, an organization to observe uh, to see if there's any violations of their First Amendment rights during their protests. And so it's kind of, you know, just being neutral lawyers observing interactions between protesters and police. Um, so I've been doing that a lot lately. Uh, and I now know the difference between pepper spray and <laughs> mace and all of those things and the way they hurt um, and flashbangs and all that good stuff. But um, it's been it's been really interesting of a way to like use my my legal skills in a, a non-lawyer capacity. Like I am a lawyer, that's why I'm doing it, but I'm there to yeah, observe, not intervene, not participate. Um, so that's the other thing I've been doing and what I'm going to be heading to later tonight after we do this um, review. Kendon, what have you been up to? Well, similar to usually, I've decided to pick some shows or some things to watch to kind of get out of the world. Mm -hmm. So I've decided uh, this is my summer of anime. Um, yeah. <laughs> First, first of all, Shalia doesn't like most of my anime, it turns out. But um, so I've talked about the seven deadly sins before. Um, and I just found out that next week will be uh, a season four premiere. So I'm excited about that. Shalia doesn't like that one. <laughs> but right now what I'm watching is Full Metal Alchemist. Angelo, have you seen it? Uh, years ago. Uh, and I never, I never completed the entire, the, the entire show. I didn't know what the hell I was missing. The show is pretty awesome and also kind of brutal and disturbing but since it's anime despite how heavy it is it's really it doesn't bring me down um so uh, the show is basically about um a brother and or two brothers who when they're really young learned alchemy which is kind of like the version of magic in this world but it's also kind kind of science it's like making things from other things and um they tried to resurrect their dead mother, which was disastrous and um, ended up removing the arm and leg of one brother and the, soul, the entire body of the other one. So um, the older brother was able to bond the soul of the younger brother into a suit of armor. Basically looks like the Iron Giant. Yeah. Not that big, but pretty big. And the two of them are on an adventure to try to restore their bodies. And it's pretty good. Um, coming up next is going to be probably like Attack on Titan or Hunter x Hunter. Like I put a whole list together to watch. So It's been fun. Yep. Okay, are you guys ready? I know we're excited to get to the main event because it is such a good one. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we get there? Um, Umbrella Academy starts up again this weekend. So. Ooh, yeah. Season yes, two. I'm excited about that. All right, so we've got one, two, three, four of us. Let's get to the fifth element. Oh boy. There's nothing that can stop this. There is only one thing. Perfect. The Mondachi one have in their possession the only weapon to defeat evil. Four elements gathered around a fifth. <laughs> I call Earth. I call Earth. I'm an earthbender already. I'm a fire sign. I'll take fire. Or water. I like water a lot. You're clearly water, Shalia. Thanks for not saying like I'm full of hot air. <laughs> Making me I feel like I walked no, into Angela. that one. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I would, I'd try to combat that or argue that, but he's not wrong, so. 
And Tim's got a lightning bolt on his shirt, so. I do. Sure. Slash. Okay. Let's take it. All right, I'll be water. Um, okay, so ordinarily we would say, Tim, tell us who made this movie. But Kenan, do you want to do the honors this week and tell us who made this movie? Um, or a how director this movie named uh, Luc Besson. He's a French mm -hmm. director who um, also did a movie called Nikita. And then after that, The Professional, which is also called Leon. I think internationally it's known as Leon. Yeah. Um, I saw that movie after The Fifth Element and it, it was kind of, a wi it was kind of wild. Um, yeah. And then more recently he made Lucy. Um, <laughs> Good old which Lucy. Was, which was a trip. Um, yeah. I might have, yeah. And uh, he put it, he made it, uh, I can't remember the one, Tim, we talked about it recently. Uh, the science fiction one where the, the space station keeps growing yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. Um, Valerian in the studio from Thousand Planets or something. I'm pretty sure that was him, right? Yeah, it was. was him. I was hoping it would be as good as The Fifth Element, and I, it didn't grab me. Because it's not his world, right? Cause so starting with him, um, in terms of like how this was made, it was made, this is world making. Um, at it, it like it seems like in its purest form, where it's like the person who has imagined this world since a, being a kid um, finally is able to make the movie of the world. It's not based on any comic book or book or prior movies. It's this is the world that he had in his mind growing so, up. So yeah, so like other stuff that he makes won't be as pure to his heart you know it's what I mean? like um joe abercrombie in the first law books yeah yeah and so and because this isn't a movie that you repeat and stay in that world i can see how you know other things he makes would be interesting or like other worlds he builds would be fun but they're not they're not his they're not his baby you know mm -hmm. um okay so what else about making of the movie or the cast should we know about um, well, we can start to get into it. First of all, Angelo is on here, not just because he's one of my best friends, but also because back in 1997, we watched this movie together at the theater. And the I'm thing is, I can't remember which one, because I don't think it was Kent Six. No, uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain, though, that my father took us to this movie. Yeah, much, I think so, too. He also took us to like Blade. Blade, yes, I was just going to say that. Like, my father took us to all kinds of inappropriate you know via the uh age limitation rules but very appropriate when an adult takes you uh movies uh, what is no, this movie I, I, rated oh this was r because she's naked sure. several times yeah but you don't see anything you see her yes you do oh you see her top parts this is pg-13 you guys no oh. i just looked it up because there's like no there's barely any swearing and I, I don't remember, I think I probably would have watched this movie more if yeah. it had been rated R. <laughs> okay, so, but, so usually we say, Tim, who's in this, and goes to the cast. Do you want Tim to do that, or do you want to do that? I can go through this. Okay, so who's in it? Yeah. Well, primarily, we have um, Bruce Willis, which is the t one of our main ties to the 80s, because he's an action star from the 80s. Obviously, we've done Die Hard. And it feels like a lot of... Um, is it callbacks or nods to like Die Hard in this? Oh movie? yeah, yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Now that now that we reviewed that movie, I saw a lot of that. Okay, who else? Um, so he's he's the main, he's kind of the protagonist, uh, Corbin Dallas. Um, then Lilu, the Fifth Element herself, is played by Mila Jovovich, 
played amazingly. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have the the villain is played by Gary Oldman. He's kind of the primary antagonist, although it's yeah. interesting he never actually interacts with uh um with Bruce Willis's character. Um, I like how I I feel like it's like the Gary Oldman. Like he's, oh, he's just, amazing. He's so great. Um, then also uh, playing Ruby Rod is uh, Chris Tucker, <laughs> who I had previously seen in Friday. So this is a was a, like a real change, and apparently he was uncomfortable with what he had to to wear for it. But I really like that that it was so different from Friday. So I liked I like his character a lot. And then another Friday uh, connection. Go ahead. I was just gonna ask a question: Was he uncomfortable with what he had to wear, or was he uncomfortable actually wearing it? Because it looked with what tight. He, he had and, to wear. Yes. Because it looked parent- tight and uncomfortable. uh welcome to what ladies go through um so yeah he the the um the costumes in this were intended to be somewhat gender fluid and gender neutral um for everybody Um, Uh but his is a big example of that and uh, yeah he's like i mean he's moving from friday pit stop here and then headed to like money talks and rush hour so his his brand is not necessarily the type of suits that he's wearing well it hadn't been fully established yet either yeah but that might be something he was worried about but i think this this is top notch for him like he he brightens the movie when he shows up um and another friday uh connection we have tiny zeus lister also plays uh what does he play thor something it was it what movie that we watched where he was in um, Zeus in um Noel's Bart. Right. Um oh. so he plays the president, which I think is the most amazing casting choice because he gets all types of like other roles where he's basically big, scary, like black man sort of thing. So he gets to play the president here. He gets to like be funny and just all of this other so I really appreciated that he's in this movie. It was probably fun for him and Chris Tucker to be there together um so that's the primary uh, oh about- oh no ian holm mm-hmm. ian holm who we know from as um bilbo in the lord of the rings movies not the the hobbit movies but the lord of the rings movies and he plays um uh priest cornelius um and there's some other people uh, yeah from blade runner isn't his name leon Leon's not in this oh really who do you think he is? One of the military people? No. Oh, who is- yes, no. You're totally right. I don't know his name off the top of my head. <laughs> but he does a really good job. It's he so does good. a great job. And so does the the uh, priest's apprentice. But I don't know all of their names. So. And, and then there's it- also the little guy, the comedian guy, um, the British guy. Huh? He's in Love something him. about Mary and he's placed security on the boat. <laughs> He is hilarious. I'm not as familiar with him. Luke Perry plays a short. Luke, Luke, I was gonna say Luke Perry is in the opening. Rest in peace, mm. Luke Perry. Yeah. Yeah. This is a star-filled cast. Also, something that we noticed this time around, I don't know if you've noticed it before, is that everybody else, include like so taking a step away from the main cast, all of the others, like the people in the military looking out the screens, like everyone has really interesting faces. Like either they have like big craters in their skin or like they're all very, they're characters. Like they're very strong. Distinct faces. Yeah. 
It's just, just fun. The, the visual style of this movie is incredible. It's like firing on all cylinders. Um, so I'll, I'll do a quick plot run I still have some things from how it was made. <laughs> You're missing the details. First of all, what year was this? 96, 97. 97. Thank you. 97. Okay, mm-hmm. 1997. Um, and it's Lucasfilm, correct? Which I think is funny because it's very Star Wars scene. I don't recall it being Lucasfilm. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, I'm pretty think... sure. I'm pretty sure it is not Lucasfilm. Hello. Okay. Well, then never mind. But there was a Star Wars person who helped with all of the like that's, costumes, that's those true. like wiggly ear guys. Um, yeah. The Man- Mangalores. So okay, that's that's the making of it. Oh, also technically a foreign film, which I had never known. Yeah, this is very French. I didn't know that. Um, okay. What's the movie about? Um, the movie's a space adventure, maybe space opera. Well, there is a space opera in it. Um, and it basically, it's a story about good uh, versus evil. There's an ancient evil uh, known as Mr. Shadow, uh, but this really just exists as this big dark planet thing that wants to destroy all life in the universe. Um, and there is a force that comes from five elements um, Four of them are in these stones, so this is kind of a chase the the stones, chase the MacGuffin sort of um, movie. And the fifth is the perfect being, um, played called Lilu in the movie, played by Mila Jovovich. Um, if you can get all three or all four stones and the fifth element into a certain location on Earth, you can stop evil. So we start with Corbin Dallas. Uh, do we start with? Cor- no, I mean we start with a cold open way in the past Mm -hmm. um, where we see these big clunky aliens coming to retrieve the stones from a temple on earth. Um, After that happens, we jump to the future. We meet Corbin Dallas. He's kind of a down on his luck cab driver who is, who had uh, retired from the military about six months earlier. Um, He is driving his cab when Lilu falls into his cab. She was found after uh, her ship was destroyed. um, So the ship was supposed to have the stones and her on it. They were destroyed by the Mangalores. Um, So her arm is the only thing that's left from that. Um, Some scientists put her back together. Some government scientists put her back together. She escapes, lands in his cab, and then it's kind of a madcap adventure to collect the stones from another planet, Floston Paradise, and bring them back to Earth while they're being uh, thwarted by this, mostly by the forces of uh, Zorg, his name is. Um, That's Gary Oldman. Played by Gary Oldman, yep. It's a really simple, like, go get something and then come back and use it sort of plot. Um, and the one of video review I was watching made a good point. Like, there's some action scenes in this, but it's not an action movie per se no actually it's a love story which is that's why kenan loves it so much i think it's questionable uh, it's a love story <laughs> i think it is too but i feel like that's what well, at least favorite to be. part of the film is the love story agreed yeah well, at least uh, he, he's her dad's age it's, that's it's, fine it, no it's kind of creepy to me not that's just because they're so different in age but also because she's like a baby she's like oh like helpless and he thinks it's so cute and adorable how like dumb she is she's, she's not, not dumb like, see right? the thing is she's not helpless because she has knowledge of a bunch of stuff that's not from I, earth we know that but when you look at him interacting with her 
and what he seems to like about her, he's like entertained by her, like, oh, what's going on? So but I feel like it's me. kind of a, a like she's a tourist sort of thing. It seems much That's more like somebody who's dropped in, into a different culture to me. Okay. I don't I feel like the eyes he gives her is like, oh I wanna Well it seems like she's she she plays on his emotions too. At least to get him what get what she wants at the beginning. Mm-hmm. She's clearly very intelligent, so that's so what does everybody think of this movie? <laughs> this <clears throat> this is honestly one of my top five movies of all time. Yes, easily. Is it I so the agree. Fifth? Is it your yeah, yeah number five? It, it, I, you know, it's I'm sure you guys are all the same. Trying to organize and rank your top five is, you know, kind of a futile effort. I don't know if it's number five or it's if it's number one or whatever, but it is easily in my top five. It, it's the music score, it's the acting, it's the storyline, it's the casting, it's the production value, it's everything. It's it's such a terrific film. And I think some of that has to do with that it is an original composition and that it had an, the person who composed it also directed it. Like it is just beautiful from start to finish and doesn't have its flaws. Of course, every film has its flaws, but outside of its flaws, it is damn near perfect. Yeah. I mean, I would watch this movie again today <laughs> or tomorrow. Well, um, it's, it's fun. It's like a Picasso, like all these random ass parts, like thrown together to make something that like is just kind of a masterpiece. It doesn't take way. itself too seriously. It doesn't, which is helpful. It's got, like you said, kind of, it's got like a random opera scene in it and she's just like wailing and they like mix it with action at the same time. Oh, that's one of the best scenes, the way that it, that it ties in with the fight scene. Um, and it goes from like this really like, you know, traditional opera into that, like, I don't know what you, electronic poppy sort of thing. Apparently she was supposed I, to have wings, but they, like but the, they cut that. So I didn't like the pop part. Of, I didn't like the pop music part of that scene. If they had just kept it, just the opera, I thought I would have been like, fantastic. I understand why he did it. Like this juxtaposition of the two things happening at the same time. Yeah. But yeah. It blew it's me scary. away when I saw it first time. I think the juxtaposition of, you know, setting it to be an opera, you know, from Baroque or Renaissance style to that of the 23rd century, it was just incredible. But 20, also... 24th even. <laughs> but also, you have... Um, there is a South Korean opera singer who actually does the diva's opera, including the classical and the electronic part, live and nails it go to youtube go to youtube and just south korean opera singer fifth element you'll find it it's it is so beautiful and so enjoyable so angela i was going to ask you though is there there's a part here that's not humanly possible right i you know what five years ago i would have told you yes until i saw this south korean opera singer do it and she does it unassisted unassisted Okay. Shit, well, I know what I'm doing after I get off this call. Well, this yep. is interesting that you're saying so because um, I agree it's nice sounding, but it has happened every time I've watched it is that I'm extremely distracted visually, and so I can't really pay attention. So the thing that is maybe my le- aside from the love story, my least favorite thing, and also favorite thing, is the diva's costuming. Um, in general, because I can't figure out if she's wearing a clear dress 
like a skin color dress or no dress and we're just seeing her full front now Kendon says she's a squid person so she just must not have boobs or nipples or something because like it's her whole front i just i but it looks like she's wearing it she reminds me of it a tweet like her skin so Angela. i think maybe that means we're just seeing her whole front with no outfit covering it which is okay well, if that's what it is uh, just just to go off of what Cannon said, if she was a Twi'lek, let me tell you, she'd have some genitalia. Um, I'm oh, definitely... Boy. <laughs> <laughs> but where? <laughs> and then and if all, you look at the bottom, all... there's a scene, hold on, there's like, um, there's a perspective from behind her, right? And you see, like, it looks like a dress, like, down below, and I'm like, oh, she's her dress. I'm like, unless it's not. Like, unless that's her, like, squid. Angelo, <laughs> Angelo, clear, clear your browser history. <laughs> okay, getting clear my browser history. Um, no, so Twi'leks uh, definitely have genitalia and uh, breasts. Uh, as far as the diva goes, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> I never thought too deeply about it. I was like, she's just something different. And I just kind of, something kind of ethereal. She Maybe she's artificial. I never really knew. It was like, this is just a weird thing that they added in. Tim, where do you weigh in on this? I don't know. I never even thought about it until you just mentioned it. I never even crossed my mind. <laughs> there are a few things that, I mean, this is a movie that Kendon loves and I've seen several times because he loves it. It has never been my favorite personally, but that is something that every single time it catches me and I just stare and just want to understand. But it's, it's so, so this movie, it has so many random world building things. So I kind of just accepted that. And you have things like the parasites that are in the the um, what do you call it? the landing gear of the yeah. plane, the plane random itself. the random elephant creature that yeah. Zorg keeps as a pet, um, the Mangalores who can change their face either innately okay. or using some so, sort of technology. So let's go back to what real quick, and I realize we haven't done too much with getting into the themes and and, and storylines of the movie, but. Going back, Shalia uh, said that this was a Lucasfilm, and I'm I'm almost 100 sure that it wasn't Lucasfilm. But I can understand why she would say so, because much of what Kenan was just saying, as well as when you look at New York City, it looks like Coruscant, right? New York City yes. in this movie it is Coruscant. Yeah. And and you look at like these weird elephant pets and the Mangalores themselves, uh, the Mandoshans and the, the alien race, like. The, the, there are so many cool Star Wars um, and, and Lucas special effects additions and or tributes in this movie, but yet it still stands alone. And like, I, at no point in time do I go, oh, this is just a bad ripoff of Star Wars. Well, here's oh, the thing. Just... So, Angela, you say it reminds you of Coruscant, but you should remember that Coruscant isn't shown until um, episode one, maybe. And that was 1999. So this, it couldn't have been ripped off from, well, at least from any Star Wars movies. Yeah, this predates it, which is cool. Like, again, though, like watching it, that's, it's got that vibe. And I agree with you, Angelo. You, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like a ripoff or, or like it's just trying to be, I, I don't think it's a lot like Star Wars when I'm watching it, unless you like look at those pieces and you're like, yeah, that seems, I seems do like feel this. like, I feel a lot of Star Wars from it personally. Um, I but also, it. I agreed. I, I, yeah, I have that feeling, and I think one of the things is that Star Wars was so popular, like even before the the um, 
the prequels came out. And one of the things is that there was so much stuff going on in the background a lot, especially once the prequels come along. And that's what this movie's got. It's got all of these things that you could be like, you could focus in on a frame and being like, what's, why is this here? Why is this here? And they put a whole bunch of effort in, which is cool because um, when the prequels came out, it became CG environments, right? But I actually saw that, that New York City is, it's, it's miniature models. Like I saw some of, some of them in a, in a video review and they put so much effort into that New York City. And, and somebody described it as the anti-Blade Runner, right? Where it's a mega city the way Blade Runner is, but instead of being dark and smoggy, it's light and bright. And Shalia does not like future cities, but this one has to be better to her than a lot of the other ones because it's, it's, it's so bright and colorful. The, the McDonald's looks all fun and all of that good stuff. So it's this movie true. puts me in a good mood. So I don't like it because it's cluttered. But um, so some of the fun facts that I've been pulling out are from this uh, YouTube channel that Kenan really likes. He does retrospective reviews. And he was commenting on how it's like a super diverse future where they, you know, they uh, almost had World War Three and they avoided it. And so it's all of these like, um, all of the cultures and nations kind of get along. And so you've got that. Except for the synthetic people thing, they could be related because Blade Runner takes place not far from now, right? But while the fifth element takes place like 300 years from now uh, with faster than light travel and that sort of stuff. So anyways, uh, just like I said, it always puts me in a good mood to watch this movie. I agree. It us- it's, it's a fun one because it's like, it's not ever boring. They move from thing to thing to thing, but it, it's not, it never feels like too much either. And I will say I have something new every time we watch it that I appreciate or enjoy. This time around was Chris Tucker. I've never appreciated his character in this movie. I thought it was irritating and annoying. And this, I don't know, for some reason this time around, I really, really thought he was funny. <laughs> so that was my, I was just, that was my favorite thing. This, his energy this is amazing. His back and forth with Corbin is hilarious to me, especially when at the beginning when he's trying to get him to say things to the radio and like in, when they're in the opera hall and he's like, you know, how do you feel being out in the world? And all Bruce Willis says is thrilled. The look on his face, like, Oh, come on, give me more to work with. This is, this is my video. This is my radio show. I need more to work with. Um, That, that back and forth is really great. And and his like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been doing that since 1997. <laughs> well, and the action scene is so funny with him too. Oh, that was the other part. Is in my mind, he's only in like for like a short amount of time, and Kenan's like, no, he's not. He's like major in it. And I'm like, yeah, this whole action scene. Like, I must. Well, we thought maybe we would like start making out or something during that scene because like I don't remember it at all. <laughs> like, okay, the, okay. the lobby. Uh, it's that he only shows in half the half halfway in. Uh, pause real quick j- j- yes. just so we're clear when ken and i first watched this in 97 there was no make out <laughs> i thought we brought girls no m- remember our, my dad took us it was me you and i think anthony probably yeah anthony who did who did ninja turtles with us uh a couple years ago actually yeah that's true he was here for that um yeah anyway chris tucker so fun uh, what else do you guys want to talk about when it comes to this movie? The, I, for me, the fascinating thing for me is sort of the Corbin Dallas reveal. It reminded me so much of John Wick, where at the beginning of John Wick, you hear 
all this conversation about who John Wick is. And it's not until they store up his house that you see, oh, he's a badass. And with Corbin, you, the general says, this is my guy. And he wants him in here. He thinks he's the man for the job. You don't really see why until they get into this opera shootout and you see sort of the John McClane kind of jump out of him. And he's shooting everyone. He's counting how many bad guys are left. He's, all these skills pop in that we had not seen at all for the first half of the film. Like, well, he's oh, almost a super soldier. On this shit. Well, yeah. and they, they, they allude to it a little bit, right? He's like, why me? And then the captain's like, you're the only one who's familiar with all of the weapons you need. And he like pulls up this menu and it's like this long list of all Goes these all the way things. to the floor. like, how dangerous we, is this? There's a couple of more, I feel like there's a couple of more hints and, and one being when the guy tries to mug him mm. in his yeah. apartment. The and, yeah, yeah. And he just, he flips it on him really cleverly. Um, yeah. And he's just so comfortable in the situation. Um, yeah. I love the scene where he's like, mind if I help the, with the negotiations? And what's his yeah. face is like, well, I've never negotiated before. He's just, mind if I give it a try? Like, he's not a jerk about it. He just like... He's so businesslike, so confident. I, but he's funny the whole time, to me. Yeah. Maybe it's because he's the straight man in the world that's, that's, that's crazy. Um, yeah. I don't know who else could have pulled this off. I feel like, like exactly. Will Smith comes to mind for a movie like this, but I feel like he would have been too much. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Cruise would have been too straight, yep. of a, like too much of a straight guy. I think, yeah, he was the right choice. The other things that I really enjoyed about this film were the Wait, two before jokes. Tim, before you move on from him, just can we stick yeah. with Bruce Willis for a second? Because I think you guys are right. Like he's kind of the perfect cast for this. And yeah. I'm wondering, is this this is after Death Becomes Her, right? And like in oh, the yeah. 80s too. Like yeah, 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 he yeah, yeah, is yeah. an action star, but he's what did our guest when we did t- Die Hard say? He's like hot dad type of action star where he's kind of like a normal guy so so badass this, and also this, funny I, yeah this actually brings me to one of my favorite bruce willis movies um striking distance do you guys know this movie mm-hmm. yeah okay so hot dad unsuspected hero doing the, the best good for society and, and community go watch striking distance and I'm pretty sure striking distance was prior to 97. Okay. The other thing though is, um, surely I've noticed it. That there's a lot of like diehard sort of references, but notice all, all the, all, until the fight at the, at the opera house, he doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have a gun at the beginning of the fight. And then once he gets it, he turns on and, and that's when he becomes action star. So it's even, almost the ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine. Yeah, we gun. even looked at each other and we're like, now I have a machine gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Tim, other, what are the other things that you like about it? Uh, the two running jokes in the film, one being that his mom just keeps finding him on the phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Call and talk to him. I should have never let really, you out. <laughs> yeah. The second one is Gary Oldman sitting, opening a box without the stones. Oh, yeah, that happens. I forgot that happened multiple times. But he doesn't multiple. check the box the last time. I was like, what are you doing? But the you know, face that he makes... Like, yeah. he's laughing, and I think they're in there, but they're not. <laughs> well, the other funny thing is, like, there's a Looney Tunes moment almost at the end where he stops the bomb that he set at five seconds, and then the Mangalores open up their suicide bomb, which has a five-second timer. <laughs> it's just it was, a great comedic, like, moment. There's a lot of that transitioning in the film. Yeah. There's a 
like when he when he tries to open a box and he's laughing, it cuts to Lulu laughing. There's a lot of that transitioning in the film. Mm-hmm. There is. I've, I've noticed that this time. You're right. So, so, so that's another one. The five seconds and it cuts to another five second box. It's very much like a comic book, the way it transitions. Yeah. yeah. Agree on all of those points. Any other things you guys want to talk about? Um, the, the, whatever, ZX-9 or whatever, that machine gun. <laughs> it's <laughs> so <nets>. funny. <laughs> it reminds me, was it Beverly Hills Cop 3, where you get the, uh, do you remember the, what was that old TV show? It was Larry and Balky, and they were like brothers. And they Perfect didn't know strangers. They were brothers. Who's the brothers? Cousins. 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 Cousins, thank you. Cousin and, Balky. Uh, so cousin, offensive and not okay cousin, now, I'm guessing. Cousin Balky is in Beverly Hills Cop 3 selling mm-hmm. the most like utilitarian, most incredible machine gun. Has anybody ever seen this? No. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Tim, you funny? have seen it? No, yeah, it's not good. It's, no, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. It, Beverly Hills Cop 3 is terrible. But that machine gun reminds me of the ZX-9 in the fifth element. Got it. Um, I have a, there's a, a guy who makes like custom Lego weapons, like guns and stuff from sci-fi movies. And so I do have one of those for, for Lego people. Wow. Yeah. Um, The only thing, the only thing I wanted to bring up about the movie is, you know, I I think we've touched on it with several of the characters, but I think with every single fucking, and excuse my language, every single fucking character in this movie was casted to perfection. Like you, you don't bring in Luke Perry to bring in Luke Perry for this film, <laughs> but but he was perfect for what he was in this film. Yeah. Um, you don't bring in Tiny Lester, um, for the sake of bringing in Tiny. He was perfect for what he was in this film. Like the casting for this, I whoever was the casting supervisor or the casting production senior production Director. for this film. Yeah, I, I want to do more films because it was so perfect. There's so few films, and I'm sure you, all of us here could name a few more. Just a few of our favorites, like, you know, regardless of how good the movie was or regardless of how good the music was, or the casting was perfect. We could probably, there's only a handful of films where every single person was casted perfectly, and this so, is one of them. So I want to list some of the background ones. Um, I'd say all of the people who are, all of the stewardesses on the flight are hilarious well and are you going to mention how they all are different but somehow all look exactly the same yeah they all look mm-hmm. very similar like like they changed everybody's skin tone to be kind of close to each other and i was like is this like a futuristic makeup-y sort of thing so we have them we have the mangalore leader um who's kind of like a bald guy sometimes and he's like really serious and, has, and he kind of is alien acting even when he looks like a human yep um who else did I really? All of the military people who are really serious and really like buttoned up, um, but they're, it's just fun, almost to a comic degree, but just really serious about that. There's a scientist, um, a main scientist guy who's really hilarious. Who else? Man. Oh, I really like, uh, the, he's like a prince or something who's, dre- who, who's deaf, part deaf. You know, oh. and, and he wants he wants him to during the fight. Bruce Willis wants him to pass him the gun, and, and he he can't hear he can't hear, and then he tosses him a couple of uh, of uh, like billiards balls. Mm-hmm. Um, he's great. <laughs> Look at 
<laughs> I think um, they were croquet because they were talking about croquet in the lobby or something. That, that, that was like so every ridiculous. Single, it's like every single detail about the individual, male or female, primary or non-primary character in this film was so well thought out and so well casted. Did I don't you know, know if... if um, when Mila Jovovich had acted before this, but her energy is amazing. Like she's all the way in the movie. She's just all the way in it. She's laughing. She's having a good time. And I like that, that this is world ending evil. Like this is so, so serious. And she's having just By a good definition. Time. By yeah. definition. <laughs> and like, I like when she's eating all that food at, at, at the uh, priest house and she's just laughing. She's like, they don't have the stones. <laughs> um, so uh, staying with her. So, Tim, do you remember when we did Little Mermaid and how I was confused because in the movie they kept saying that Ariel had the most beautiful voice? Yeah. And at my age, I was like, she has the most beautiful voice. That's That's been proven because the movie said so. Kendon was sharing that they kept talking about <laughs> Lelou being perfect. Do you remember saying this the other day? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, is she? Like, I was, I was kind of young enough to be like, is this like a perfect woman? Plus, she was like, I think she may have, be, have been on Maxim Magazine or something. I, I was like, I don't, I don't, yeah. Anyways, okay. this, some of our friends were really into her. First graphic, yeah. yeah. But I just thought that, I thought, I, I took that you, you believed the show and you're like, I was, I perfect. was like, it could be plausible. Look, hopefully my wife never listens to this episode, but definitely more into the first stewardess on the flight. Yeah. Not saying, just saying. Yeah. Okay. So can we talk about that? So the airplane scene or the airport scene in general, just fucking hilarious. Everybody yes. trying to claim that they're Corbin Dallas. And I was a little confused because, okay, you guys can help me figure this out. Um, so Lilu falls into Corbin's cab. And so he's met her already, drops her off with the priest, goes home. They, uh, the, the government learns about what's going on figure they need a somebody who can you know save them go get the stones and the captain's like my main guy is corbin we're gonna go get corbin is that just straight up coincidence yes yes as far as i can but, tell or fate. or fate but it's coincidence that has a weighted factor to it so it's like whether it's fate whether it's providence whether it's whatever it's 100 percent coincidence but for the sake of the movie and for the sake of the attributing factor of how important this perfect being is, yeah, there's something a little more. But it is coincidence. Okay. I wasn't sure. Um, and I forgot to mention when I was talking about uh, background characters, um, the crew, that, like the, the Rasta guy who's cleaning off the bottom <laughs> and refueling the – that whole thing seems random and super funny. So I wanted to say that too. So one other thing they mentioned in this the retrospective review is like, as part of the world building, everything needed to be different and reimagined. So like they didn't want anything that was exactly the same. So like you'll notice like McDonald's is McDonald's, but not, you know, the order doesn't come in like the, you know, um, packaging that we had in the nineties or now. And his cigarettes uh, and look the, very yeah. different. Yeah. And the cigarettes were another example of like, down to his cigarettes, they wanted things to be a little different, which was so fun because it's just like little trinkets everywhere. Yeah. What was it? it? The, there was like a hot pot or a dim sum that pulled up to his apartment window. That reminded oh. me of Blade Runner. I want that so yes. bad. It's so Dude, cool. Right? 
right? Right? during COVID. That guy, that guy, his casting and his his line reading, he was like, "Oh, it's you're due for good news. You're due for <laughs> if it's if it's bad news, lunch is on me." And he's like, "Okay, open it." And he's like, "You're fired." <laughs> it, it's so good. Oh, it does. Movie does have. It has one of my favorite movie tropes, which is when Lulu clicks on and looks at all the bad in the world when she like types in war. It's in so many movies, right? It's in X-Men. It's in all these movies where where some creature, an alien or someone from the past, realizes that humans are terrible and all we want to do is kill each other. Uh, I laugh because I forgot that scene is in this movie, but I'm like, oh, here's that trope again where someone touches the But that's her acting. Her acting's amazing in that scene. I feel like it's effective. It's a terrible trope. I get it why it's terrible because it's in everything. Like she, she didn't, she didn't need to like digest the information. No. Yes, like, she did. That okay. No. So I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on this because it's it's set up well because she starts with A. She's yeah. trying to familiarize herself with the world already. So they don't just like other movies do that sort of thing, but they just kind of like bring up the, just the the bad stuff. But she's already going through all of these different things to familiarize herself with the world. However. I don't get why she would why she would there. attribute this only to humanity. So because there's only, so many other species. Exactly. My own, my only yeah, my only issue with that is is that you know she gets done watching all the atrocities and the tropes, etc. But then she's like, Oh, yeah, they don't have the four stones. I know all about the stones. I know all about who I am. I know all about what needs to be done. And it's like, okay, so if you're gonna do the consistency here of um, she already knows all these things, then she didn't need to watch the bad trope to know. You, Angela, that was my this. point. You know, if she has this information about the stones, she doesn't need to watch the thing. She knows this evil thing exists. What do you mean? Yeah. She, she, she just knows where the stones are. She, she, also knows about, she also knows what they're for and why, yeah. what she needs to do. But she's missed and the last 6,000 years. She only yes, knows about correct. this evil thing. That's what she knows about. That, that but to evil. know to, to know that th- that this thing is necessary, she doesn't need to know about the concept of evil. She already knows about the concept of evil. No, no, That's no. True. But she's not learning about the concept of evil. She's learning about the what the movie's trying she's to say. Now. She's learning about the evil of mankind. Problem being is because we we brought it up earlier. This movie takes place after the world has kind of come to more peace and you can see all of the atrocities she's wow. looking at their 20th century uh the like 19th 20th century which atrocities. I, I appreciate that i appreciate that part too because some of the atrocities are, you know obviously the majority of atrocities that have happened are such that much more humankind originated than that of the world originated but instead of evil is evil and and that's what i was getting it's like she understands the concept of evil she knows what she needs to do in this concept of evil and she watches all the stuff and all of a sudden it's like maybe it was good for the viewer and 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 it, and it was it was good for me it was good for you it was good for the viewer to see what she was going through but the light switch that happens as soon as it's done is yes. so abrupt it's almost I'm, jarring it doesn't make sure, sense i'm not sure that she has any concept that evil is on earth like there is this evil being that's coming towards earth but i don't think she thinks that evil exists on earth at all so here's my read on it humanity there was a lot less humans with a lot less technology last time she was awake to begin with so she's like oh this is what you guys have been up to while i've been asleep 
are you yeah. worth saving? That's, that's what's going on. And these atrocities, the, the thing about it is as humanity has gotten more and more complex, they've gotten more and more abilities to do destruction on a larger scale. She didn't see that. Maybe she saw um, the Egyptians like massacre a, a village or something like that. But the crazy thing is that we reached the ability to slaughter people on an industrial scale. She's not aware of that. that that's what I think is the effective part of it. However, like those big clunky robot aliens, they seem good. So I, I don't actually buy her, her, maybe she's just, you know, emotionally overtaken with emotion from what she saw, but there are species, apparently multiple species throughout the galaxy who we don't know. Some of them might be just fine. So yeah, okay, so that's that, the these, other piece. that these Mandoshans are also taken care of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the interesting thing about this, you know, Tim, you were mentioning that this is a trope that we see quite often and it's true. It is, but this one, it does it in a different way in that we see her reacting. We see her kind of spirit breaking a little bit and she's like emotionally overloaded. And then she's like taken over. She can't walk. She's like passing out. She can't like her job right now is to combine the four elements and like shoot this thing up and she's like completely demoralized and so i didn't take it as like she doesn't have the conversation until like bruce willis is saying like oh yeah there is hope kind of thing and like we live for love and there are good things but she seems more sad and like devastated than she does like i don't know if they're worth saving like she just seems like she's just in like the bottom of despair and just can't function anymore i'm curious and she doesn't say it really we just kind of see it happen to her it seems like humanity has some central or special role in this world for some reason i mean because they talk about saving earth versus just saving the universe like that becomes interchangeable not just with the human characters and it needs that the special spot is on earth for some reason so you know it's 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 unclear but I don't dig into this movie in that way. I, I'm along for the ride most of the time. And that's why I think that that, that scene is effective to me because it's, it's part of a roller coaster ride. Fair enough. I think that's true. It doesn't bother me much. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's there and no. I notice that it exists, but. The, the things like that scene, the love interest with her and Corbin, all that stuff, it doesn't bother me or ruin the film. I, it feels necessary. I yeah, it's feel, a detractor. Yeah, it, I don't feel like it's it doesn't just it doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the film like at all. Do you know what else is or what is a detractor? How about uh, my people? <laughs> uh, the beginning. My representation of my people as they um, arrive at this exotic location, and you've got. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's like the hula, the hula girls and the Hawaiian and the music and stuff. And the, I mean, in fairness, I think there are some arrivals to like Hawaii like that. I've never experienced it, but it's like, never. oh, that survives into the three, 300 years from now. This like, I don't know. Didn't love it. That's okay. That's all. I'm like, <laughs> again, didn't ruin the movie. Just a scene. Favorite things? Okay, yes. Definitely. What are your favorite things about this movie? We've already said the cast, which I 100% agree with. Corbin Dallas in general. The music. Lilu in general. Lilu in general. You guys, can we talk about the music? For, uh, just one more quick side note about the music. The amazing score? Not just and the score. Soundtrack. 
not just the soundtrack. There are two songs on the soundtrack that if you, um, as an audiophile like myself, are interested in taste, uh, testing the capability of your subwoofer, there are, huh. frequent, there are frequencies in two of the songs on the subtrack that are so low that most cheap subwoofers can't pick up. And you will know if you have a good subwoofer if all of a sudden your house falls apart when you play these two songs. <laughs> do you have a good subwoofer? I do. <laughs> That's why I you want, had to I get w- a new house. I'm going to watch this movie with you next time we're hanging out. Brosive. It's the song that happens when, you know, uh, Zorg starts bleeding from the head. Mm. Mm. And it's the song that plays when he dies in his ship. And both songs, you don't notice it until you are either in the movie theater or in the presence of a subwoofer that can catch these frequencies. And it will, all of a sudden the house just breaks at the seams. It's like the big bad wolf showed up. I want to see this movie on a big screen again. Also, it's about time that I get a nice uh, subwoofer for the the home theater downstairs. Mm-hmm. So. Um, can we talk about the forehead stuff? Forehead liquid. <laughs> so it happens in the beginning, and then it happens to Zorg. Now we were talking, like we were thinking it was blood. Retrospective reviewer thought maybe it was just some kind of evil goo. Yeah, um, I don't think it's blood anymore. I always just assumed it was blood. But I think it's some sort of evil seeping out of them because they're somehow in direct contact or connection with um, the evil planet. It is very like, too dark looking too. Yeah, it's like dark and gooey. But um, It makes me think of, you know, how um, Alfred Hitchcock was famous for using chocolate syrup for blood? <laughs> it makes me think of that. Because there's not a cut on their forehead, so it could be blood seeping through their pores because there's so much pressure in there. Because like in with Zorg, like in the other one, you don't see where it's coming from, but with Zorg, it's like it's dripping, but you can see, you can see where it starts, and it's not like there's like an open wound or something there that you like noticeable. It's just starting to fall down. So unless it's like, I mean, it must be coming through this through the pores. I don't know how else. It gets there. Yeah, I think it's coming through the po- or, no, I, but I think it's I think it's a side effect of communicating with the evil. Do you guys think that the priest had to save Zorg when he was choking on the cherry? I think he's a priest, so he did the right thing. I think not only is he a priest, he's a priest of the preservation of life. Yeah. Angela? No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I think this priest is down to like kick some butt and maybe even kill some people for this cause. He doesn't, but he I does. think he would have. So I was like, I don't know that he has to save him right now. Anyway, um, okay. Anything? Any other favorite things that we haven't identified yet? Oh, for me, it's just Gary Oldman. I think he was great. He's really funny and kind of hysterical and a bit over the top, but not to a point where it took away from the film. I thought it was a great addition to his character. From the hair to his mannerisms to his, the way his speech is all sort of on point. I really enjoyed Gary Oldman in this movie. Apparently he did not like that hair piece. It probably was hot. Like yeah. sweaty on that. Well, it looks like thing. it's kind of like hard plastic. So maybe it like cut a little bit. But yeah, no, he's like, the things the, the things he's saying are just like bizarre too yeah. um yeah that's really 
there the people in this the cast they they delivered really good performances um yeah it's a, this is a good movie is he a taxi is corbin a taxi driver or was he just borrowing a friend's car no he's a taxi driver but the thing is is that like lots of taxi drivers don't own that car right and they share them right like so the, we would own their uber the uber owns them Hmm. Well, no, people own their own cars with Uber. Some people don't own their own cars with Uber. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. When they say, this is my car that I just drive around, don't believe them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Other favorite things from Fifth Element, aside from her great orange hair? I liked all the orange. So Corbin's shirt is orange. Her suspenders, her rubber suspenders oh, are orange yeah. and her hair is orange. I guess uh, the last thing I would say is the end scene where they have to figure out how to open the stones. Oh yeah, that is. It's a fun little puzzle. Doesn't take too long. They figure it out. And the way they figure it out is organic, right? The the wind one because the guy is exasperated and and sighs on it and realizes that you have to expose each stone to a version of their element. I have always been irritated with the. Oh, we only have one mat- one match left. Everybody's going to huddle around it, and I'm going to light it far away from where it needs to be instead of lighting it directly above the surface of the stone. But did you like the callback? Because we see his box of matches in the beginning, and he goes, "It's two left," and he lights a cigarette. And you're like, "This has to matter." Um, the way it like focuses in on that box of matches, it has to matter, and then it does matter. He has one left. Well, that whole apart—I like that that whole apartment scene. His apartment's fun. His cat is fun. Um, when he's, tra- I like the the woman who's playing, his, supposed to play his wife, and then how he stuffs all of those the military people into the refrigerator, and then stuffs Lilu and the other person, or and um the the priest into like the bed and the shower. That's all crazy Looney Tunes the stuff. Auto, auto wash is auto that what wash, it was? Yeah. <laughs> And the mom. So the first time we are introduced to the mom, she calls and she's just like that pussy. That's the word she is, right? Yeah, she just refers to the cat as the as a pussy. <laughs> you, you care about it more than me. <laughs> so the I forget one of our favorite things because we quote it all the time is multipass. Yeah, multipass. Multipass. Um, okay. Is this movie influential? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. What's your favorite influence? For me, all the cosplay I see every year at Comic Con, everything from so I'm similar Cor- Corbin to Lilu to everything. All the artwork is is live long past 1997 in people's minds and in people's hearts. People love it, and when in in through regular conversations when I talk to people, uh, much like Angelo, it's always in their top ten favorite films. Mm-hmm. So it's always a discussion. I yeah. get the impression this is like the sort of thing that movie maker people who make movies would like because it's so interesting, right? And so it probably has influenced the worlds that a lot of different people have made. Um, so I imagine it was influential on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to you, Tim, one of my favorites is like it, um, seeing Halloween costumes. Like when I don't expect it. Like I, I remember the first time I saw Lilu and was like, oh my god. <laughs> This is great. I think it's a wonderful Halloween costume. Uh, Angelo, Kendon, so any um, favorite influences that you can identify? 
I, I mean, I don't cloud know. City, not cloud I City. just have a feeling that it is influential. I don't know any direct. What about episode one? It might have influenced. I wouldn't be surprised because, like you said, somebody who who worked on this on the creatures in Star Wars was on this, um, and it reminds me like I've seen a lot of the back uh, behind the scenes for the prequels, and um, it just seems like some of the same design ideas of the, let's make just every scene packed with stuff in the background. Mm-hmm. Angela, what about you? Oh man, I think Ruby Rod was really influential and I don't mean that in a trite way. I mean it in a very specific way in that we saw a an actor who was a comedian who was, you know, maybe possibly on a path to be stereotyped into several different or to maybe one of two different types of roles introduce himself into a role like this. And I think that it has to go back to the casting director or whatever. Something that was also interesting too to me was that how many African-American actors actually were in this film in prominent roles um, between Tiny Lester. Um, we had Zorg's right-hand man. We had the Mangalore, the head of the Mangalores. Um, and we had Ruby Rod. And it, I think that was interesting too, especially in a Bruce Willis film that I think uh, up prior to 97 didn't have many African-American actors at all. Um, and then I think the last thing that was really influential to me was there, there were very few music scores prior to 97 that had this many hits, whether it was just the background music, the diva song, or the action scene songs. Like, it was, it, it was incredibly well done and, and, and life-changing for me when I, when I try to compare it to other music scores. I think um, those two things kind of tie together a little bit in terms of just, not just, but in terms of diversity, right? Like in general, like diversity, like in terms of the cast that you were just talking about, and then also like genre of music, you've got, you've got so many different types of music happening, which is, I think, probably helpful in having multiple hits or multiple, you know, really good songs because they're different. So they are, you know, you can put a lot of work and put work into each of them. Did you guys know that the, okay, so this divine language that Lilu speaks, um, her and the director created that, um, and they used to practice it by writing letters back and forth in that language. What? <laughs> yeah. That's also a fun fact from the uh, retrospective review. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, Zorg's assistant, is he played by a musician named Tricky? Pretty sure, yes, that is correct. What do I recognize? I recognize him from another like movie or film. So I'm trying, I was trying to figure that out. I don't remember, but he is a familiar face for sure. Okay. Well, are we ready to rate it? Yeah. Okay. So in 30 years, (laughs) will Fifth Element be considered a classic or will we be past it? Classic. Classic for sure. Classic. Classic. Good job, Kenan. This is a great pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Angelo, thanks for visiting us. It's always fun to have you, even thanks if it's via Zoom. I miss you all. I love you all. Happy to be here. <laughs> I thought you said happy new year. I'm like, no, no, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy to be here. And I'm gonna I'll I'm gonna call Kenan on his birthday and, and, and embarrass him. So nice. 
you do that. That's what friends are for. Uh-oh. It's going to voicemail. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, okay. And we are going to do the right thing. Is that right? Yeah. That's our next one. Do the right thing. Hottest day oh, of the boy. summer and protests. So far, I mean, today is the hottest day of the summer, right? It was in the 90s. Yeah. And there are protests. Um, yeah. So next week, we will do the right thing. When, Kendon, what will we be? Multipass. No, that's how we will get there. We'll be back. Silly.